hi hello what is up and welcome or welcome back to girl you haven't heard a black history and true crime podcast where we discuss things from a critical decolonial perspective but above all else without all of the unnecessary copaganda because it just takes up time and we don't have time for that around here so it is true crime week and we are going to get into the peter nygaard case and this is definitely like the longest case that i've ever researched it has so many different moving parts but they all fit together so it's like you can't really leave one thing out without including the other because then that won't make sense and then the next thing won't make sense so this is like a very very long podcast video whichever format you're watching on um i like i do have 32 pages of notes and i actually did an instagram poll asking you guys like which do you want it to be in two par smaller parts or like one large part and it was tied so we're just gonna go with however i feel at the moment but let's get into it okay so this week like i said it's true crime week we're going to be talking about peter nygaard so we're just going to start off with a little bit of background information just so we kind of understand where he came from who he was or who he is i shouldn't say was because he's not dead yet but let's get into it so peter was born pekka juhani nygaard and he was born on july 24th 1941 in helsinki finland where the name Peter came from, not really sure. It seems like that's something that he adopted once he kind of moved over. So in 1952, when he was about 11 years old, his family made the transition and they moved to Deloraine, Manitoba, Canada. I personally grew up in Winnipeg. I had never heard of this town. I didn't know anything about it, but it's like a very, very small town. And it currently has a population of 1,489 people. So I can only imagine how much smaller it was. Like that's the, I think that was about the population of like a bunch of high schools in my area at the time. So I can only imagine how small this town actually was in 1952 when they did move and made that transition. So in this same year, uh, his family moved once again, but this time to the city of Winnipeg, where they opened a successful family bakery. Nygaard would eventually graduate high school from Winnipeg, and he would then go on to study business and finance at the University of North Dakota, um, and he did complete that program successfully. So after going to school, he actually moved back to Winnipeg and he was eventually hired by the Eaton Company as a part of their young executive program, where he did quite well. Um, and because of that, he was then able to become an equity partner in the brand Jacob Fashions, which he would then go on to purchase the business eventually and name it Tanjay Fashions, which later became Aaliyah and Tanjay. So if you are from Winnipeg or even in Canada, you know Sears had all his stuff decked out. Like all of his stuff was everywhere. His face was everywhere, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for a women's clothing brand, but that ego is unmatched. So he actually then used his business to expand his like American customer base where he would eventually go on to create department heads in LA and New York. So Peter was extremely famous because of all of this. Like he was extremely successful at all of his fashion endeavors and he was an extremely rich fashion mogul. Fashion mogul because if you've ever seen the clothes they're questionable. Um, but he was known as a fashion mogul who had connections with just about any and everybody due to his years of successfully climbing the social ladder. So he would make one connection and then he would just use that connection to make more connections and then kind of drop the people who were like less famous, um, but continue moving on up. 
So Nygaard International was founded as a sportswear manufacturer in 1967 and eventually grew to have over 170 stores in North America. So I remember like growing up in Winnipeg and driving past the headquarters, like their building downtown. And I just remembered like wondering who this overly tanned cartoonish looking man was and why his face was literally everywhere when they were trying to sell women's clothing. Like it didn't make sense to me. But yeah, he insisted on having his face plastered literally everywhere. So this man actually went on to be appointed by the Canadian trade minister at the time, who was Ed Lumley, as the chairman of the advisory board to develop to develop industry strategy. Um, and from this position, like NAFTA was eventually created and Nygaard actually played a part in negotiating the initial trade agreements with the opening market of China which is wild to me because like, how do you go from creating clothes to this? Like, seems sketch, seems suspicious, seems a little bit questionable to me. But at the height of his career, like he himself, not just his brand, but like he himself was worth just shy of a billion dollars. So like a ridiculous amount of money, more money than one person could ever possibly need. But he lived in the Bahamas on and off since 1987 but he actually had purchased land in 1984. So that's when he decided he wanted to put roots there. Um, he wanted to kind of hang out and chill there. The Bahamas is a beautiful place, so that's understandable, but what came next would not be understandable. So his famous estate on the Bahamas is actually named Nygaard K, and it plays a very large role in what has earned him the nickname of the king of the sex slave trade in the Bahamas, as well as the Canadian Jeffrey Epstein. So that's kind of like the first introduction into who he really is, not all the background information. Like that's really who he is and what he's known for. Um, and Nygaard K was a 150,000 square feet. So it was like quite large and it was actually featured on the Oprah Winfrey show and the lifestyles of the rich and famous. So very elaborate home for sure but he was just an elaborate kind of guy like he wanted to always flex his wealth and flex what he had and flex to show that he had more than other people which is ew but that's what he did so the k itself was mayan themed and it had a casino a disco hut stripper poles underfloor cameras which when i read this i was like what the heck what do they mean and it's literally like cameras in the floor so like the, it just made me think about like if you're wearing a skirt and you know sometimes the creeps will like put their cameras and try to take pictures like he just had that throughout his whole place. So, ew. Um, but it also had a 45 ton glass ceiling, the world's largest sauna. Which why like I, okay. It also had 6,000 square foot lodge, which was made of Canadian pine logs. Um, many of the rooms had mirrored ceilings, which we all know what that means. Um, and the place was so extremely large that you couldn't walk to get from one place to the next. Like you could, I'm sure you could, but it would have just taken like a really, really long time. So he actually purchased like these mini electric cars for everyone to just drive around in. Um, Peacocks would wander the property. He had fake volcanoes that would erupt with dry ice. Um, he actually had sculptures of naked women all around the place that were his previous girlfriends, which is really a code term for victims, nine out of 10 times. Um, and he also had like stone cobras that would hiss out steam when the sun set. 
and there was a group like a group of 60 foot tall towers and they all had torches like all around them spanning the top of the buildings and he made his staff go and light every single torch every single night when the sun set which is very extra and very unnecessary to me um there were 12 different themed cabanas and there was also what they called a human aquarium which i didn't understand what this meant but it's just like only one side was the aquarium and it had sharks on one side of the glass i don't know just weird stuff but like a very very luxe very luxurious home like you know how luxurious your home has to be to be from winnipeg and like have your home featured on the oprah winfrey show like that's kind of that was wild to me um and many famous people have been to this compound like george bush and robert nero which when i saw that it I just had so many questions like so many question marks like there's absolutely nothing that these people have in common with peter um but we'll get into that in a second because that is of course what unfortunately makes this a true crime episode now we're just gonna get a little bit into his relationships and kind of what that looked like like his intimate relationships so nygaard through my research i saw he has like a very typical type of woman who he likes to marry and be in public relationship with have kids with or at least have kids with that he claims versus the types that he would assault traffic and force to travel with him for the most part um so all of his public romantic relationships and all of his claimed baby mothers like the the children who he's like yeah you are my child like i this is the woman that i made a baby with type thing they're all white women and most of them were previously working as models um so he has like a very very specific type but most of the women that he would assault traffic confine and force travel upon are primarily black women and girls like this to me gave very colonizer vibes very much like the black women are the dirty little secret that always have to be kept hidden gave me a really weird feeling right off the bat but just ugh. so nygaard was only married once to a model um and they married and also got divorced sometime in the 70s there's not really a lot out there about this relationship i'm assuming because it wasn't very successful so he doesn't really want people to know about it um now it's unclear if he and anna nicole smith like yes that anna nicole smith the one the only um it's unclear if they were married or just simply dating but the pair were together from 1998 to 2001 so the pair met at an annual at his annual la oscar party which he co-hosted with some other people um the event was referred to as the night of 100 stars but it allowed him to further his networks so he enjoyed having this um but it was more like when i was reading about it it was more like the people who couldn't go to regular oscar parties would kind of go to his or the people who kind of wanted to get in on the nastiness he would doing would also go so this relationship did end in 2001 right a couple short years after they started dating because peter says that anna says that he worked too much and that he didn't put enough time, energy, and effort into their relationship overall, which, okay, could be why, but again, she's not alive to tell her side of the story, and she didn't really talk about this relationship with him very much. Um, so it could have just very much been like they were both equally trying to climb the social ladder, and he had money, and he could offer her modeling contracts, and all of those things, but 
after she died, he actually went on the Montel Williams show. So if you've never seen it, I feel like the best way to describe it is like a black Maury. But I want to say less dramatic, but it's not less dramatic. It's just dramatic in a different way. So yeah, but he went on the show and he actually talked about how he tried to get Anna off of drugs, but was unable to do so. Now, if this is true, I don't really know. Like this was also something very weird to me. Like, how do you do this immediately after she died? Like, you didn't say anything for the six years all were broken up about the relationship or about her addictions or anything. But as soon as she dies, like, this is what you do? I don't know. It's giving attention seeking. It's giving very weird. But that was his MO. So his most recent relationship was an engagement to a supermodel, Suelen Medeiros. I believe that's how you say her name. I'm probably not saying it right, but we're just going to call her Suelen. Um, and we'll circle back more about her in a little bit. But on a side note, like when I read that she was a supermodel, I just got, I was like, okay. So like what makes someone a supermodel versus like a regular model? Is it about the amount of money you make, about the amount of followers you have? Or is it like a specific thing? that makes it legitimate i wasn't really sure but she's described as a supermodel so nygaard actually has 10 children that he claims with an array of different women so some of his baby mamas are patricia bickle karina pock uh and angelina i can't say her last name but um karina was a stewardess and had to fight him in fight him for years in Ontario courts in order to gain child support for their teenage son. So Nygaard actually said that the amount of money in which they were seeking was excessive and he said that she would destroy the child's work ethic um, by having this amount of money at her disposal to give him. So while waiting the final judgment, the judge in the case ordered Nygaard to pay $9,500 a month which is a lot of money, but again, like nothing compared to what he was bringing in. Like his net worth was just under a billion dollars. So this is nothing for him. But the case was eventually settled in 2004. So some of his kids named are, some of his kids are named like Bianca, Aaliyah, Kai, Zen, Mika, Jessar, Skylet, Zara, and Trey. Um, I'm sure he has a lot more kids out there, but he just doesn't claim them to be his own, but it doesn't make them any less his kids. So Nygaard actually has a lot of famous connections, people that he's been previously spotted with, um, people that went to Nygaard K. So we're just going to talk about them like very briefly and they'll be also be like, this is one thing about this man that was so weird. He would take pictures with every celebrity that he met and it wasn't clear if this was done because he was like hyped to see them and wanted to like brag about it or if this was done really because he knew that if he went down for anything like these people would also go down with him but of course like he was connected to a lot of people especially because he was that rich right it kind of puts you up there um so one of his most infamous buddies was actually former U.S. President George Bush and he was spotted at Nygaard K like multiple times and he actually brought his wife and family a few times as well. He said that Nygaard K was one of the most beautiful places he had ever been. Which once we get into what goes down at Nygaard K you're gonna be like 
oh, ew. Um, but also he was friends and who had been spotted there, obviously Oprah Winfrey, right? Because they shot that show there, but also Robert De Niro, Mel Gibson, Sean Connery. This one, I was like, my jaw literally dropped. It was Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was a frequent visitor of Nightguard K. Yeah. Also Jessica Alba, but Jessica Alba is the only person who went to Nightguard K and then she publicly talked about her experience and said that she left immediately because she said it was disgusting. She said there was 14 year old girls dancing around basically wearing nothing and she was appalled. So she immediately got the hell out of there. So it, it had a reputation for sure. Like people knew what they were getting into when they went there. Um, but Sean Connery, Sylvester Stallone, Alan Thicke, John Singleton, Prince Albert of Monaco, um, Beanie Man, David Shaw, Robin Leach, and Prince Andrew. Yes, that Prince Andrew. The same Prince Andrew who was caught up with Jeffrey Epstein. Also got caught up with the Canadian Jeffrey Epstein. So if you have any questions about his innocence, that man is not innocent whatsoever. Please, we know this. But it was said like very commonly if you want to see celebrities in the bahamas you just got to go to nygaard k like he had a lot of connections and his people were always there so these are also people that he had been regularly spotted with and it's kind of unclear if the people that i'm about to mention had ever been to nygaard k or if they were just casual acquaintances or friends of his but it felt important to mention because like i said you're connected to him still so former prime minister of canada brian mulrooney and also jean christian so looking at both of those men sideways um but also um gary Busey, dick van pattern um dick van patten dudley moore bo derrick pamela anderson um norby walders norby walt Chris Angel, David Foster, Lee LaCoya, um, and Chad Kroger of Nickelback. When I saw that one, I was like, what the hell? What the hell? Because there's literally no reason for Chad Kroger, which is the ramen hair noodle guy from Nickelback, to be hanging out with Peter Nygaard. But he was also buddies with Bill Gates, which, ew. Um, Alex Dillard, Rita Cosby, Phil Miller, Ted Rogers, and Richard Branson. Um, one thing about this man, like I said, he took pictures with everyone he was affiliated with. So there was no way to deny your involvement with him, right? It's like once you were connected, you were connected and there's no way around that. I had very strong political connections, but the thing that I found really interesting and felt really important to mention is that he played a big involvement in like Bahamian politics specifically because that's where he spent most of his time um, for a number of reasons which we'll get into but he had something to do with the 2012 Bahamian presidential election of Perry Christie who is or was the leader of the progressive liberal party of the Bahamas. So like he was definitely a part of some sketchy stuff definitely part of like rigging it or something to that extent. So leading up to the election like perry had accepted well perry and the political party because he couldn't just make that decision on his own so they accepted a five million dollar donation from nygaard 
and Nygaard like I think the PLP wanted to keep it like on the down low you know what I mean but Nygaard was not having any of that he publicly and privately would talk very much about how his endorsement was the only reason that they were able to win and kind of sweep the election because before this leading up they didn't think that they were going to win like even I was reading it was like a couple of hours leading up to the election they were all really down and really upset because they really didn't think they were going to win so I don't know what it is that Nygaard did but he did some stuff to make sure that they got in so like I said, he was publicly and privately claiming that the PLP only swept the election because of his donation, because of his contribution. So there was an article that was published saying that he contributed $4 million and this arrogant man, he felt the need to clarify and specify that it was in fact $5 million. And he even produced a copy of the check that he used to give his donation to verify that. So to me, personally, it seemed like this was more of a bribe than anything like he essentially bought this party and its unconditional loyalty with this donation uh, and after they won it was kind of like or at least you would think that it would be somewhat unspoken that they would just allow him to kind of do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted because he was the reason or i don't want to say the reason but he was a very big reason and why they won that election So there were also allegations that Nygaard and his crew were going to the PLP rallies like leading up to the election and they were giving out money rolled up into t-shirts to bribe people that way. So even though he made that $5 million donation, how much he really contributed to the campaign overall in their win overall is unknown. Um, but as soon as this kind of made me laugh a little bit because it's like he was just using Nygaard and Nygaard was just using him but as soon as you know like he got elected um he intentionally tried to create public distance between him and Peter like he was like this is not going to work like oh I know the things that you are doing I know the things that you're accused of and I kind of want like I want no parts of it I wanted parts of it when it could help me win but now that I'm in I don't want anything to do with you so Nygaard picked up on all of this, right? He was like, I don't like this. I don't like what's going on here. And so Nygaard would actually like intentionally and very randomly show up to the prime minister's office um, and demand to see him, um, which of course Perry refused. He was like, no, no, no. But this didn't stop Nygaard from showing up and with his entourage as well. So he actually also tried to get Perry to come to his infamous pamper parties and just kind of hang out at Nygaard K, which he refused. Um, and it quickly became known throughout the nation that Perry was a no favors type of guy, was a no favors type of guy, right? Like you're helping me because you want to and you're not gonna get anything from me type thing, which may not have been what they agreed upon before, but more power to him for kind of doing that afterwards, I guess. But at the same time, he already took Peter's money so like the damage had been done but aside from this like Nygaard was also actively paying off Canadian politicians which of course he was right but one of his former employees Richard Ross actually told New York the New York Post that she was personally tasked with putting together payoffs for high-ranking members of Canada's progressive liberal party um, she says that she saw stacks of $10,000 bundles 
directly from the bank that were stuffed into varying bags for delivery with the names of the politicians attached on each of the bags. So like they were collecting their coin from him as well. So a large part of this case is actually a rivalry that I can't even say a large part, but like a part of the case um, is Nygaard's rivalry with a man named Louis Bacon, which I was like, this cannot be a real name, but it is. His last name is, is Bacon. But um, Louis Moore Bacon was born on July 25th, 1956 in Raleigh, North Carolina. And the irony of these men literally having a birthday a day apart and hating each other is just too much for me. Um, but you know that that Leo energy. These two Leo men did not like each other, right? Their egos were not big enough to fit in the same space. Um, but Louis Bacon is the founder of the hedge fund More Capital. Um, and he has an estimated net worth of over $2 billion. So I thought... I thought Mr. Nygaard had a lot of money, but no, Louis Bacon has a lot more. So like, like I said, like just a ridiculous amount of money and unnecessary amount of money. There's no way he's ever going to use that amount of money, um, but he's got it. So he himself actually has ties to the KKK through grandfather Roger B. Moore. And Bahamians actually protested Louis' presence on the island through rallies and a series of protest marches, uh, which makes sense to me, honestly, that he has these types of ties to the KKK um, because it's impossible to be this rich, uh, especially in 2022, and not have those riches rooted in an extensive history of an extensive inextensive historical levels of anti-blackness to varying degrees but like of course slavery like and racism like just of course you know but louis himself he of course claims that this is not true and he says that nygaard is behind these rumors but like if your grandfather was literally a part of the kkk and like you can just google his grandfather's name and see that and you inherited family money then that literally means that you have ties to the KKK and like you are rich because of racist slave money. There's, Nygaard didn't make that up. That's just how it is. So Louis actually became neighbors with Nygaard in the Bahamas in 1996. And for some time, their relationship was respectful and like very neighborly, but things apparently took a turn for the worst. And Nygaard says that this is all because Louis wanted to buy some of his property and he refused to sell which I'm not sure if that was actually what happened. That's just what Nygaard said. But they have been officially feuding since 2004. It may have begun sooner. It's just not really documented the exact start because it is such a long-standing feud. Um, so the feud has resulted in many lawsuits in varying countries, which to me is ridiculous. Like they're using the courts to try and solve their personal beef and they just can't. So they have actually been at each other's throats for literally as long as anyone can remember. Like they have filed numerous lawsuits and they've even made up some pretty wild claims towards one another over the years, but it all kind of began. This is one thing that was like clearly, clearly outlined and like it was clear consensus. It all began when the pair began to argue about a puddle in their shared driveway. Uh, Louis claimed that Nygaard after this, Louis claims that Nygaard extended part of their shared driveway without approval or proper permitting. So this pissed him off. So he responded and in 2004, 
Bacon and a group of conservative conserve clicking. What's not clicking? Clicking. What's not clicking? Conservationists. Oh my gosh, that was conservationists founded Save the Bays, which is a nonprofit organization that had the goal of working towards the preservation of the natural environment of Clifton Bay. So the group then publicly began to accuse Nygaard of illegally dredging the seabed. Uh, extending the island's natural shoreline and expanding the borders of his compound without proper permission from the government of Bahamas. So they even took it a step further and they tried to block any attempts Nygaard made to expand his compound by lying, by buying up a large portion of the coastline and they established it as a nature reserve. So this was petty. Uh, this was very petty. And I feel like this is what happens when you get petty and you have money but this didn't seem like a bad thing to me necessarily you know what i mean protecting the coastline like okay but then things escalated further in 2009 when a fire actually gutted nygaard's mansion and fire crews listed the official cause of the fire as unknown but nygaard believes that this was all done by of course louis bacon it couldn't be done by anybody else but louis of course denies this he says yeah nothing to do with this must have been something wrong with his electrical work something else happened but he had nothing to do with it so after the fire nygaard says that louis involved installed four very large military grade speakers at the boundary between the two properties before aiming them directly at Nygaard's bedroom. Nygaard then says that after this, ear-piercing noises were played and one of Louis's assistants even shouted, there, that's a message from Mr. Bacon. Don't fuck with Louis. Again, no one else, no one else confirmed this. This is just what Nygaard said. So Nygaard and his employees actually believed that Dan Tuckfield, who was house manager for Louis at the time, was responsible for burning down his mansion. Um, Bacon, Louis, he had apparently told Dan to find a way to burn the fucking house down. Again, I don't know where this information is coming from. This is just what Nygaard claims, and Louis says this is not true. So in it just keeps going i swear like there's so many things that i even am not talking about but this feud is literally it was so ridiculous it was just like if you gave two toddlers infinite amounts of money and they got to go after somebody they didn't like that's the vibe that these two are giving off so in 2010 um louis filed a 50 million dollar defamation suit in which he claimed that nygaard waged an obsessive and malicious smear campaign against him for years um, he says that his neighbors harbor spite and ill will towards him and that the sinister allegations of Nygaard have destroyed Louis's professional, philanthropic, and personal reputation. So it's just ruining his life, he says. Oh, boo-hoo! Let me play a sad song for you on the world's smallest violin. Um, but he also says that Nygaard is responsible for doctoring a 2011 CBS report about the arrest of Wall Street mogul Rajat Gupta for inside trading. Um, he claims that he intentionally superimposed, like he claims that Nygaard put his face over Gupta's face in order to falsely allege that like Louis was at the center of the billion dollar scam, which he very well could have been. I don't know. 
But in the same suit, he also says that Nygaard spread the word that Louis had covered up the murder of his employee, Dan Tuckfield, who died in a hot tub in May of 2010 in the Bahamas, only six months after Dan had been accused of burning down Nygaard's home. I'm going to take like a slight little detour um, into the death of Dan Tuckfield because this, to me, it just seemed very weird. Uh, and it seemed too weird to not dive more into and like discuss more. It's literally like there's a true crime case within a true crime case. So of course we're gonna talk about it and like figure out what the heck happened here or at least try to figure out maybe if you have any ideas, like let me know because I also don't know what happened here. But Dan worked as one of Louis's over 10 house employees that he had like rotating throughout the day. Um, and he was the house manager like ever, I think since early 2000s is what it seemed like. Um, so aside from this though, Dan as a person, he was described as very sweet, very loving, very caring. Um, and he loved fishing and he loved sports. And he was like low key, kind of like a hero, which I read this and I was like, what are they talking about? Like, what? But really wild in 1991, he actually saved a bunch of people from drowning after a plane crash crashed in Floridian waters. So he was the strongest swimmer of the group um, and he decided to not put on a life jacket and he actually swam with the plane passengers under his arms and then he had a dog on his back. So after swimming for a while, two of the passengers, their exhaustion kind of took over um, and they unfortunately drowned. And later on, the dog became extremely panicked and ended up drowning as well. But he did everything he could to save everyone um, and he actually was able to swim to safety and he he did save other people as well. So Dan was involved in the the estate rivalry between Louis and Nygaard um, because Nygaard had made it very clear that like Dan was or should have been a prime suspect in the arson case. But unfortunately with Dan's death, um, the final police report stated that no foul play was suspected because he was apparently alone at the house at the time of his death and the autopsy said that the cause of his death was coronary artery disease. Now this to me was very suspicious, very sus because the autopsy was done by a private doctor um, and then Dan was literally cremated hours after finding him. And then his cremated remains were sent back home with special instructions, apparently. So, like, this is very strange. Like, you didn't even give his family an opportunity to see him, like, say goodbye to him. You just cremated him. They didn't even get to do, like, their own autopsy if they wanted because he did not die in his own country, you know what I mean? So, just very weird. It's giving very suspicious. But the day of his death, um, he was last seen leaving the Captain's Table restaurant, which looks it up it looks beautiful it looks very nice um which is near the lyford k marina uh, and it's a buffet style place and then just a few short hours later he was found dead so they said like maybe it was something he ate but i don't see how something he ate could possibly contribute to his death that quickly especially because they're claiming that he died of coronary artery disease but Dan's death is very suspicious for a multitude of reasons, but the main one being like the man was an excellent swimmer. So him drowning in a hot tub when he didn't drown after swimming for kilometers upon kilometers, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
Um, and then that would kind of be why they claimed he died of coronary artery disease because they knew they're like, okay, well, no one's really going to believe that story. But if we just say it's something else and like they can't look into it, then they're just going to have to take our word for it. Very much what it was giving. So I don't know. The circumstances seem sketchy. Things just feel very off about it. Like, I don't know who killed him, but like that man definitely did not die of natural causes like they're trying to say he did. Back to the rivalry, um, in 2011, Louis and his wife Gabrielle, along with three other board members of Save the Bays, right, that organization that he founded just to spite Peter. Um, so those members, and then also a local pastor, had filed a lawsuit against Nygaard for a variety of harms. Um, they claimed that Nygaard was responsible for organizing a gang of assaults of the save the base director uh, they also said that nygaard had paid a man named livingston livingston bullard to firebomb the pastor's car um, and he was paid twenty thousand dollars to do so and they also say that nygaard promised livingston bullard and whistler de Vilma. two hours later i don't know why i can't what is going on with my brain and names today whistler de Vilma money to murder again louis and the others who were against nygaard's efforts to expand his estate into the private gated lyford k community and the new providence island of the bahamas so the two were promised houses as well as a large sum of money to do so but neither of them disclosed the final payment amount so i don't know what exactly they were offered um and these two men they actually were working for Louis, right? When Nygaard promised them all of this and offered them all of this money. So they were actually working for him for a year um, before the before Louis and his people kind of filed the suit. And during this time though, they were given um, protection and money from Louis for their participation. And throughout this time, they video and audio recorded about five different meetings that they had with Nygaard. So they were basically just, they were pretending to be ops and they were supposed to get as much evidence as possible against him to help out with further lawsuits, which is kind of, kind of petty, kind of devious, but you know, whatever, I guess the feud had to keep going. So now we're jumping all the way to 2019, November of 2019, Nygaard filed a suit against Louis in New York. So it says that Louis hired a team of lawyers and private investigators who are engaging in a pattern of illicit and illegal conduct designed to improperly influence witnesses to lie, file false reports and statements, abuse the process, and torturously interfere with business relations, as well as aiding and abetting the dissemination of false statements, all for the intentional purpose of damaging Nygaard. So this is a lot, but I feel like this specific lawsuit will make sense as we kind of go down the timeline of events and what he was implying here. Um, but Louis was also one of the first people to formally bring forth, like publicly and privately bring forth evidence regarding Nygaard's um, sexual assault and rape charges, specifically with context to the Bahamas. He claims that after seeing and hearing whisperings of what was going on, he had no choice but to come forward in an attempt to protect the women and girls who had been and continued to be harmed by Nygaard. 
But Nygaard, he claims that all of these women were lying, that they had all been paid off, and that every claim made by Louis was absolutely ridiculous. Now this claim of Nygaard's is absolutely ridiculous because many of the assaults that we're going to talk about, they happened way before um, Nygaard and Bacon had even gotten into it. Like specifically Casey and April's experiences, those were two very prominent experiences that happened before him and Louis had ever gotten into anything. And we're going to circle back to those two in a minute. What did he actually do, right? You have all this background information. So what's the true crime case kind of kind of going on? So Nygaard has been accused and charged with using his businesses to lure and persuade women and girls into sleeping with him and his associates. Um, and he was doing this in Canada, in the US, and of course the Bahamas since as early as 1995 uh, in order to sexually gratify himself, his associates, and his friends. Terrible, Your Honor. He's really terrible. Um, the assaults do go back since before 1995 this is just kind of the the point in which they can first pin it it came out that he had been drugging and raping girls as young as 14 basically every day regardless of where he was at so he has been sued at this point by dozens of women who were sexually assaulted by him at some point and he was actually um sued by his own sons as well majority of the women and girls he assaulted or passed around his friends and colleagues were young bahamian women and the many women and girls that came forward they were paid off to lie and eventually change their stories um and the lawsuit also says that the assaults entailed vaginal rape, anal rape, oral sex, and requests to urinate and defecate into his mouth. You're nasty. Just the idea of this man having like excessive amounts. I can't even say excessive because I feel like any amount of urination or defecation in your mouth is too much. But just the idea of that is disgusting to me of course as is the rape but after the rapes he always paid each of his victims thousands of dollars uh, whatever he thought would shut them up essentially and it was company money that paid for all of this so the cash would actually be transferred from the company's bank account in canada and then routed through new york and then routed wherever it needed to go and i feel like this was done because they were trying to make it more difficult to trace but it's not really that difficult to trace when you're doing it the same way every single time, you know? But when Nygaard became aware of the investigation into his sex trafficking ring, he decided to resort to tactics of violence, intimidation, bribery, and payoffs in an attempt to silence his victims and essentially continue his bullshit, but he didn't get to do that. Now we're gonna get into the actual like victims of his, what happened, what's going on with them that type of thing and we're gonna we're gonna look at things from a chronological perspective so I'm gonna just in order to make it make as much sense as possible just gonna take you through a timeline and this one starts in 1979 
with a woman named Casey Allen. So in 1979, at 17 years old, Casey Allen, who was living in Winnipeg, had just graduated high school, and this is a very exciting time. Her and her friends loved to dance, they loved to party, they loved to go out and have fun, especially on the weekends. So it was super common for them to sneak into clubs and dance their little hearts out, right? They were just, just shy of 18, so it wasn't, wasn't that big of a deal. Um, it had nothing to do with drinking or meeting anyone, she said. They just wanted to get together and dance and have fun. So at these bars where her and her friends would frequent, uh, they noticed that Nygaard was just always around. So in 1979, at 38 years old, Nygaard had already developed a reputation amongst women in her, amongst women her age in the city of Winnipeg. Most women didn't really know the extent of his predatory ways but they just knew that he was overall bad news and he was someone to kind of stay away from and avoid at all costs and this was also knowledge amongst her and her friends but one night the group of women were out and nagard was actually buying them drinks and he was circling them like a shark she says so very much like watching over them very much giving predator vibes but when the night was over, Nygaard offered her a ride home, to which she accepted, right? Um, but he didn't actually take her home. He instead took her to his Winnipeg warehouse on Notre Dame. Uh, and it has an apartment on the inside of it, like a living quarters. Now, he made it seem like they were just stopping there because he just needed to pick something up real quick fast and then they would be on their way again. So, of course, she's like, sure, whatever. Um, he makes her go inside with her. He makes her go inside with him. And she's like, okay, whatever. This is kind of weird, but he's been nice so far. I'm, I'm going to be fine type thing. But unfortunately, what happened next, she says, was kind of like a blur. It just happened so fast. Um, and he actually threw her onto the bed. He put his forearm across her throat and he ripped off her underwear. He then proceeded to rape her while she fought as hard as she could, but he was just unfortunately stronger than her. And she said it was clear that he was experienced at what he was doing, so she was unable to get away at this point. Um, now she told, after the incident, like he did take her home after this. He didn't keep her there. And she told friends that something bad had happened, but she didn't go into detail about what it was and she didn't tell her parents or report the incident to police. Um, she didn't want to create turmoil for everybody around her the same way that Nygaard had created turmoil for her. So she definitely felt like she had to keep all of that inside, which is unfortunate and it must have made it like a lot more difficult to deal with and process that kind of pain, that kind of trauma. Uh, but in 1980, there was a rape charge against Nygaard that went public. And when this happened, Casey thought to herself, good, someone finally has the courage to stand up to him. She said that she was grateful that a monster was finally going to be brought down. And she was proud that it was a woman around her age who was standing up to him. Now, randomly out of the blue, Casey's like moving on from the assault. She's just trying to live her best life, you know? Nygaard had actually called her parents home. Um, he said he was calling to see if she needed anything, like money, help paying for school or a car. Now she's like, what the fuck? Like you just raped me and now you're calling to see if I need anything? 
so she took the opportunity to cuss him the hell out and honestly kudos to her like definitely well deserved and definitely would have done the same thing if not worse if i had been in her position so she told him to keep his money and cussed him out further and she said that she called him she yelled at him for so long that she actually lost her voice and that she called him every terrible thing she could think of in alphabetical order. So she went down the line. She was letting this man have it. Oh, now that's how you clear a bitch. As she should. And it just seems weird to me that he just stood there like on the phone. I just imagine him like expecting it to not go this way and then having to just take whatever she's saying, right? He didn't hang up on her. He listened to her throughout the whole thing so but also maybe that was like a weird power trip for him i don't know but after the phone call um casey had decided to try and move on from the situation fully and completely uh that was kind of her release and she was just ready to be over it the whole situation so shortly after this she was scouted by a modeling agency right like she was 5'11 and like very beautiful and blonde so she had like that very typical model look um and of course she was white so very typical model look and she actually moved to manhattan shortly after all of this went down so after moving to new york she had heard that the rape charges against nygaard had been dropped and she said this was absolutely horrifying she said that this was the exact reason that she did not want to come forward with her own experience, right? She didn't want to be the one to point a finger at such a powerful and wealthy man who had the ability to make things just go away, especially in Winnipeg, right? Like he said multiple times publicly and privately that like he owned the Winnipeg police. So eventually like years after all of this went down, um, and she had kind of processed everything and gotten the chance to deal with it all, she decided to come forward and give a statement to the Winnipeg Police Service in hopes that they would press charges. But the Manitoba Crown prosecutors, they denied um, to pursue the case. They didn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. They wanted nothing to do with it. And this is like 2010 to 2020, like within that time frame. So... It, okay so i was gonna upload this all in one part but decided not to so there will be another part coming tomorrow and the next day come back and watch it or listen